verse 10. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth is that it doesn't matter how bad your situation is, if you give God praise, freedom will come. I said freedom will come. I don't care what bill you can't pay. I don't care what's hurting in your body. I don't care what relationship is jacked up. If you will give God praise in spite of it all, freedom will come. Now the Bible tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I am come that you may have Zoe or that you may have life or the real life of God. He said, and that you may have it in abundance to the full until it overflows and begins to affect somebody else. He says, I am come that you might have life and that you may have that life more abundantly. He said, I come that you might have it to the full until it overflows. Overflow, overflow works like this. I get three folks who get to start giving God praise, and before you know it, they're turning to 60 folks giving God praise. Now, that's what overflow looks like. He says you're supposed to have the God kind of life on the inside of you so that it not only affects your life, but it literally begins to affect the life of everybody else around you. Now, on Bible study on Thursday night, I asked them a question in Bible study, and the question I asked them is the question I'm going to start with you this morning. And the question I had is, is why is it that so many believers, that they come to Jesus and they give Jesus their life, but they struggle to live the very life they came to Jesus to get? Why is it that people walk down the altar of our churches all, of, all throughout the United States and over the world, and we come to Jesus and we give Jesus our life. But once we leave there, we struggle with being able to live the very life that we read about in his word. And we did some things on Thursday night where I just allowed people to just tell me some different things. And if it was a different setting and we had time, I'd let you do it. But I guarantee you that what they said is pretty much what you would say. And some of the things they said was, you know, well, it had to do with, with people uh, not trusting God. It had to do with people not understanding the word. It had to do with people not, not believing that it would work for them. And, and they came up with all of these different things, and we took everything everybody said, and we put it into one little sentence, and that is that we don't have the same kind of thinking that God has. The reason people struggle is because we don't think like God thinks. And then the question becomes, well, Pastor, why don't we think like God thinks? Well, the reason we don't think like God thinks is because we have things in our life that are trying to hold us captive. Tell your neighbor, say, we have an enemy. Now, we read that in John 10 and 10. He says, here's what the enemy does. He comes to do what? Steal and so you and I cannot sit here and act like we don't have an enemy. We have someone who is literally hell-bent on causing you and I to live a life absolutely contrary to the will of God. But you and I have scripture after scripture after scripture that tells us that once we are redeemed, that you and I can live the life of God. Amen? Tell your neighbor, say, you can live a perfect life. And people say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, I can't be perfect. That word perfect means wholehearted. I can live a life that is wholehearted toward God. 
It doesn't mean I won't make a mistake. As a child, we love our parents, but we make mistakes, amen? But our parents love us, and so they correct us, amen? And so God says, don't worry about being perfect in the sense that you won't ever make a mistake. He says, but live so that your heart is open so that I can always talk to you so in case you do make a mistake, we can correct it. But for most people, we don't spend enough time in his word to know how we're supposed to live. Now, this morning, I want to deal with just two or three things. Number one, I want to go back to where I was here on Wednesday night and define for you what a stronghold is. Because take your neighbor and say, strongholds are dangerous. And then I want to talk to you about where strongholds come from. And I want to submit to you to not be thinking about your neighbor when I'm talking about this. Because I guarantee you, everybody in here, if you search, you will find some area of your life where you still have a stronghold. That's why the Bible says we keep growing from faith to faith and glory to glory. We keep, we, every day we ought to be increasing uh, in God's glory and decreasing where the strongholds are concerned. And then lastly, I want to give you a couple of faith principles about how we tear down strongholds. Because I'm telling you, strongholds were never designed to keep you prisoner. It was designed to keep the enemy out. Uh, the strongholds were, were, were really not, they were not made for the enemy. They were made for you and I to put up in our life to keep him out. It's why the Bible tells us in Proverbs you have to guard your eyes and you have to guard your ears. Why? Because whatever enters into a man gets into his heart, and then whatever is in his heart comes out of his mouth. And the Bible says that's what defiles him. It's not just about what you put in, but it's guaranteed that if you put junk in, junk will come out. And if junk comes out, junk is what's going to defile you. So I want us this morning to just, I want, I, want to, I want us to look at a couple of things real quick. I want you to go to Mark chapter 3, and then we're going to go to Romans. We'll go to Mark chapter 3. And while you're doing it, let's make this, let's, let's make this declaration. Say, all strongholds in my life are coming down now. Amen. 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 Now, I'm, I'm going to help you real quick because of time. Someone said, well, 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 what's a stronghold? You know, I'm not fornicating anymore. A stronghold is that you, you told God you was going to pray, and every time it seemed like you're supposed to pray, you find yourself doing something else. That's a stronghold. It's a stronghold when you told God that you were going to tithe, and now because your money's funny, you don't tithe. That's a stronghold. A stronghold causes you to be disobedient to the thing that you know you're supposed to do. N- not the thing that you didn't know anything about, but the thing you know. When you do it, you know it's wrong. But you still do it. I asked him on Thursday night, I'll ask you this. How many of you in here have ever heard God say something to you about what to do in any situation? Ever heard God speak? Okay. Now, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. How many of you ever heard God say do something, you knew it was God, but for whatever reason, you didn't do it? Keep your hand up. How many of you have ever heard God say something, you knew it was God, you did the opposite, and it worked out bad? Keep your hand up. How many of you ever heard God say something, you knew it was God, you didn't do it, it turned out bad, and you did it a second time. Now look around. Just look, I want everybody to look around. Look around. Now either you're stupid or you got a stronghold. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> now you choose, praise God. Either you're stupid because stupidity is to do something that you know is going to give you a different result than what you want. So either you're stupid or there was a stronghold in your life, something that caused you to go against what you knew wasn't the right thing to do. Oh, don't get mad. Because here's what happens. In my life, there have been so many times that I knew God said do something. And I was going to do it. 
But then these different things started happening, and I started thinking, well, maybe I didn't hear God, or maybe I'm not supposed to do this, or, or just simply I don't know how to even get this done. So I did something different, and it just totally got jacked up. And then the next time I got a different situation, it may have been a different thing, but the scenario was the same. I was supposed to be doing what God said, and then I got into all of these different issues, and I didn't do it, and guess what happened? It got totally jacked up. So I had to begin to ask myself, either I'm not as smart as I think I am, or there's something on the inside of me working against what I want to do. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, the thing which I would to do, he said, that's not the thing I do. But the very thing that I loathe, the thing that I hate, the thing I don't want to do, that's the very thing I end up finding myself doing. He said, now it's no more I, it's not me the person. He said, but there's another law that works in my member, and I'm going to tell you who that law is. It's called a stronghold. It's called a stronghold. Now, now let's look at, at, at Mark chapter 3, because I want to show you something. Mark chapter 3, verse 27. When you have that, say amen. Mark chapter 3, verse 27. I'm going to read this out of the King James. I'm going to read out of the Amplified. And I want you to think about this in terms of your own personal life. Here's what he says. He says, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil or take away all of his goods, except the first thing he has to do is to bind up that strong man. And then he is able to take all of his goods out of his house. In other words, he says, I can't break into Ralph's house and take Ralph's stuff unless I break in Ralph's house and tie Ralph up first. Because then once I tie him up, he's helpless to do anything to stop me from taking what I want in his house. The Amplified says it like this. It says, but no one can go into a strong man's house and ransack his household goods right and left and seize them as plunder unless he first binds that strong man. Then indeed he may thoroughly plunder his house. Thoroughly. See, understand, if, if, if I go in Ralph's house when he's not there, I don't know when he's going to come back. So I got to hurry up and get whatever I can get and then get out before he comes back. But if I enter into his home when he is there and I tie him up, I can take my time going through everything in his house and take whatever I want, even use it while I'm there before I leave. He says, so here is the job of the enemy to steal, to kill and to destroy. So the enemy's job is to find access to your house. His job is to find access into your life, into your heart, and any place he can find so he can get in and begin to build these things called strongholds in your life. Because if he can build a stronghold in your life, then he can thoroughly plunder everything else in your life. Turn up and say strongholds in one area won't stay in one area. If you got a stronghold where trusting God is concerned, that stronghold about trusting God will come into you giving of your tithe, to you helping people, to you forgiving people. It'll spread to every different area of your life because the job of a stronghold is to capture a piece of territory and then expand it systematically. And that's the enemy's job. He wants to get a foothold in your life. Now, a foothold works like this. How many of you ever had a door and was trying to shut the door and and had somebody stick their foot in the door? Well, when you stick your foot in the door, the person doesn't have access to your whole life, but they can still communicate to you because you can't shut that thing off. 
Well, the devil's job is not to necessarily get in and cause you to murder somebody, cause you to sell dope or, or cause you to. He just wants to get in anywhere he can, any little area that can give him access to your life so he can keep talking to you and putting doubt and unbelief in your heart. And then what happens is you just think that, that, that he's just talking to you. It starts off as just being uh, 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 not having unforgiveness in your heart. You, you, don't, you, don't have any, you don't have any forgiveness in your heart. And then the next thing you know, now you don't trust God uh, where paying your car note is concerned. And now you don't trust God where, where tithing is concerned. And now you don't trust God where giving offering is concerned. And now all of a sudden you don't trust nobody. And now the man and woman of God has been speaking into your life. Now you don't trust them no more. And now you don't trust nobody no more. And notice how this thing has spread throughout your life. Let me show you what he, what he, what he says. Go to 2 Corinthians. We're going to get to Romans. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians on the second time, they were having this issue that I'm talking to you about today. They, the Corinthian church, if you study it out, they were an absolute, there is not a mega church today like the Corinthian church was. E- even Pastor Cho's church was not like the Corinthian. They had 10,000 instructors in the church. Not 10,000 members. <laughs> they, they had 10,000 10,000 registered instructors, men of God who had been tested. They had 10,000 teachers in the church. But they was having this issue with all of these little things. And so Paul writes to them in the second chapter of 2 Corinthians, and he says, listen, I'm not going to write to you and be heavy with you. He says, but I I, want to tell you some things. And look down in in verse 9. Here's what he says to them. He says, for to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be what? Obedient in what? All things. Now see, because the reason he wants him to be obedient in all things is because if you're disobedient in one area, it opens up your life to have access to the enemy. So he says, I need you to be obedient in every area. And then look what he says in verse 10. He says, because he was talking to them about forgiving, because they couldn't forgive people. They had, a, they had an issue. Uh, they, they wouldn't forgive nobody in the church. Every time somebody made a mistake that was against the law, they forget all about grace, all about the word they had heard preached. And so Paul says to them, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also you. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. He said, I didn't forgive you because I wanted to. I forgave you because Christ forgave me. And then look at what he says in verse 11. He said, why did I do this? So that Satan should not get what? An advantage of us? He says, we cannot be what? Ignorant of what? His devices. He says, understand, you have got to be so conscious of the fact that you have an enemy that you don't allow anything in your life to live contrary to the word of God. Mm. Why? He says, because if you do, Satan will get what? An advantage of you. Well, what's the advantage? Well, I said, Lord, give me an example. Now, come here, Ralph. Let me show you. Here's what the advantage looks like. Now, Ralph is going to come over here. And, and, and we're going to play basketball, okay? Now, I am taller than Ralph. Amen? Praise God. Most of us. Are t- no, 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 no. That's <laughs> my son. I love it. It's a BJ. No. <laughs> I am taller than Ralph. So if, if Ralph is going to guard me, guard me like you're playing basketball, if, if I'm dribbling the ball and I am able to pin him this way, who has the advantage? I do. So... What happens is we're, we're, we're just walking around living our life. And the devil's just right here. I'm being a little disobedient today, a little disobedient tomorrow. I ain't forgiving nobody right now. 
I ain't paid my tithe, and before you know it, I got the advantage. And once I got the advantage, now he's here. Now the devil's job is to keep him right here. Now he keeps coming to church and he don't understand why stuff ain't working no more. Now all of a sudden, you know, this, this faith stuff just don't work. He's trying to come this way, but this faith stuff, it just don't work no more. Why? Because I have allowed Satan to get the advantage of me. Thank you, son. And so what has to happen in your life is you have to say, you know what? I cannot allow the enemy to talk to me about anything that's contrary to God's word. But in order for me to know what's contrary to God's word, y'all are preaching up in here. I got to know God's word. So let's find out what God's word says. Go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. I love the word. Strongholds are, it's, it's so important. This is so important with having to do with your passion because strongholds are those little, you know the Bible says that it's the, it's the, the small foxes that destroy the vine. It's, it's the small things that destroy the vine. And if we're not careful about the small things, they become big things in our life. Now, here's, here's what Paul said when he wrote to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 13, verse number 11. Or verse, number, yeah, verse number 11. Romans 13, verse 11. He says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our deliverance closer than when we first started believing. He says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Verse 14, he says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not make provision for your flesh to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, 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 that's a powerful statement if you stop and read that because in the Amplified, he says this. He says, besides this, you know that a critical hour is now. And take it up and say, this is a critical hour. This is an hour because you understand that we are closer to Jesus coming back today than we were when we talked about this on, on Wednesday or on Thursday or on last Sunday. We are literally closer to Christ's return than we were then. He then also says this. He says, it is high time now for you to wake up out of your sleep, to rouse to reality, to wake up to reality. Here's the reality. You do have an enemy. The reality of it is, is that there is a, an enemy out there, and his job is to devour you at every opportunity. But here's the other reality. He can't if you stay in the spirit. He, he, he can't destroy you. He can't cause you to lose if you stay in the spirit because it's stronger than your flesh. He then says, for salvation, the final deliverance is nearer to us now than when we first believed. In verse 12, he says, the night is far gone and the day is almost here. Let us then drop or fling away the works and deeds of darkness and put on the full armor of light. So tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, it's going to be up to you to throw down those strongholds. Now, in order to throw down your strongholds, you're going to have to first realize you got a stronghold. I'm, not, I'm going to help you in short fashion. Here's how you can know if you got a stronghold. If somebody starts to talk to you about something in your life that needs to change, and you get offended. If, 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 as your pastor, if I start saying to you, 
you are not as committed as you think you are because you never come to Wednesday night service and you get offended, it's because you got a stronghold in your life. Because the facts of the matter are true. You don't come to church on Wednesday night. So if I say that to you and you get offended, it's not because what I'm saying is a lie. It's because what I'm saying offends you because I am fighting against the thing that has been established in your life. Come on. You, you can do it with anything. If I come in here and say, you know what? The Lord said that this church is going to start fasting three days a week. Not consecutive, not consecutive, but just three, three out of seven days we're going to fast. Now, now see, I start saying that, and, and folks right now already putting their books up. I mean, they done closed their Bible. I'm, why? Because why? it's a stronghold in your life where your stomach God is concerned. And your stomach God starts to say, three days a week, we're not going to eat. We'll die. No, you'll be a lot more healthy. Amen? It, it actually calls you to probably end up living longer. But, but, but the strong man toward your stomach doesn't rationalize that. What he says is we're being denied something. You're trying to take something from us. And the job of the strong man is always to defend his territory. All right? Go to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Say, all my strongholds are coming down now. <laughs> Matter of fact, say, say I have former strongholds. <laughs> Praise God. I got former strongholds. Hebrews chapter 12. Now look at Hebrews chapter 12 because remember, the Word of God is telling us how to get rid of these strongholds now. It's telling me, well, number one, wake up, arouse to reality. It tells me to put on, to, to be clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what verse 14 said in, in Romans 13. In verse 14, he says, put ye on or be clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I was joking with them on Thursday night, and I, I said it to them, I said it to you. Now, you look at me, I may look fairly thin, you understand? But I don't have a six-pack. In fact, I told them I got a kind of a mini, a mini keg, you understand? I, I don't have a six-pack. I kind of got a little stomach here, you understand? But now, when I got clothes on, you can't see all that. In, in fact, I stand, I stand to the side, and you'd be like, wow. What does the clothes do? They hide my imperfections. So when he says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, the reason I'm going to put on the Lord Jesus Christ is because it's going to hide those imperfections in my life until he is able to fully deliver me from them. See, <laughs> I wear my shirt out, Tamika, until I can lose some weight and tuck it in. You understand? So we put on the Lord Jesus so that we can work on those imperfections until the Word of God can get those imperfections out of my life. Now, here's what he says in Hebrews 12, because it's not all the Lord's doing. It's some stuff we got to put down. He says in Hebrews 12, he says, Therefore, uh, a wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which do it so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that's Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now in the Amplified, he says it like this, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off, say strip off, and throw aside every encumbrance, every unnecessary weight. 
He says, let us throw away every unnecessary weight. And I'm telling you, there are some things in our life that the devil doesn't put in our life. We put in our life. There's some stuff that we go out into the world and we pick it up and we put it into our life. And then it bogs us down from running the race that God has called us to run. For instance, let me, can, I, can I be very practical? If God has called you to 5 a.m. prayer, okay, and I, and I know that God is speaking to more and more people about this, but if God has called you to 5 a.m. prayer, it is probably not a good idea for you to go to the 10 a.m. movie on Saturday or 10 p.m. movie on a Saturday night or a Friday night or whatever night that he's called you to 5 a.m. prayer. That is an unnecessary wait. Ain't no sin in going to the movie. You understand? It could be, depending on what you're seeing. But, but just if, if you, you know, you go to see The Incredibles, okay? Ain't no sin in going to see The Incredibles. But if you go see The Incredibles at a time that's not going to cause you to be too tired to do what God has instructed you to do, you allow that thing to become a stronghold in your life because you are not obeying the word of God. So he says you've got to wake up and arouse the reality and start to strip off all of these unnecessary weights you've got in your life. Tell him, I say, it's time to clean house. Now look at 1 Peter 2. Go to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. Now why am I reading this? Because I want you to see that he keeps telling us there's a part that we play. I don't know where I got it from. But I just always have read the Bible, and I hear about, I've always read the Bible, and I hear what God say he's going to do. But in my natural mind, it was always, okay, what's my part in it? It, it, it was never, God's going to do it, I'm just going to sit back and just wait on God. If God is, who is God doing it for? So I ought to have some responsibility. Even if my responsibility is to believe. There's something that I have to have in it. And I'm amazed at the number of Christians who have all this word in their life. And when I start to talk to them, I can listen to them just for a few minutes and I can tell that really they're just hoping God's going to do it all. But he says, you need to cast off the weight. But you're waiting on God to come take your CD and throw it away. God's not going to come take your CD and throw it away. You're going to have to throw away that rap CD. You're waiting on God to come and, and, and lock you up so you quit going and spending all your money at the mall and not being able to pay your tithe. No, you're going to have to stop going to the mall doing the sale. Take it there are some things that you are going to have to do in order to get rid of these strongholds. Some of, them, some of them you're just going to have to do. You're going to have to make the decision. You know what? Every time I listen to that song, I think about him, then stop listening to that song. Stop listening. If you know they don't play that song on 94.9, then that's what you listen to. If the song is to make you do whatever you do is played on 92, don't listen to 92. It's an easy choice. But what happens is the reason why we can't do it, even though we know we should do it, is because we have strongholds in our life. The thing that wants to listen to that is stronger than the part of me that don't want to listen to that. It's the reason we say something like this, I just couldn't help it. I just couldn't help it. Well, the reason you couldn't help it is because you have so cultivated the desire that you have not spent time cultivating the thing that would not desire to do it. 
And so I'm telling you that in order for you to get free, you're going to have to start reading this word and identifying with who you are so you can do what you're supposed to do. First Peter, you got it? Chapter 2, verse number 9. Now here's what he says. And I like it out of the Amplified. He says, but you are a chosen race. Now, now notice this. He's not just talking about black people and white people. He's not talking about Asians. He's not talking about Native Americans. He he said, you, those of us who are believers, we're a whole different race of people. Oh, glory to God. We're a whole, now now I'm going to show you something here. He says, we are a whole different race of people. He said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation. You are God's own purchased special people that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Say, I am a whole different race of people. Well, then why do we still hold, cling to this stronghold right here? And, and come on, come on. We talked about this on, on Wednesday, and I said it on Thursday. African Americans find themselves telling their kids stuff like this. you got to be twice as good and work twice as hard in order to do the same thing that white folks do. Come on. Now, that sounds like that's supposed to be an encouraging thing, but do you realize that really that's a stronghold? Because, wait a minute, when I get born again, I ain't black no more. Oh, y'all ain't going to say nothing. When a white person gets born, they're not white no more. When an Asian gets born, they're not an Asian. They have been transformed into a brand new race of people. Now, now, now I have African-American friends who get upset with me when I say this, but I wouldn't ever vote for anybody black because they black. I don't care what their name is. I wouldn't vote for And I wouldn't vote for somebody white because they white. I want to know, are we of the same race? And because our natural body suits may be similar, that don't mean we the same. Y'all ain't saying nothing. And I would not vote for somebody because they were a woman. Because the Bible says in the beginning he created, he them both male and so my point to you is, you've got to learn who you are and quit just identifying with your natural race. Oh. I mean, and, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, you vote for Barack Obama, you vote for John McCain, you vote for whoever the Lord tells you to vote for. What I'm trying to get you to understand is how to think on a higher level. And I'm telling you that it's asinine to say you're going to vote for somebody just because they're black. I'm telling you, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. It, well, we, we, it's time for us to have a black president. It's time for us to have a God-fearing, Holy Ghost-filled, five-baptized president. And if them two jokers ain't it, then shame on us. We ought to be praying and getting somebody up in office who can do it. Now, 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 I sell that to start to help you kind of tear down stronghold. Now, watch this. If you're mad at me because I didn't say something about Barack Obama, stronghold. 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 If you're mad because I, because I don't identify with your, with your African-American uh, ethnicity and, and, and centrism, well, whatever. Too bad for you, stronghold. I identify with a man named Jesus and all of his brothers. Now, that's what the Bible says. Now, now, now somebody right and somebody wrong. 
What the Bible is, I know the Bible is right. <laughs> and somebody wrong. They sung a song about that, you understand? He says, but we are a chosen race. And then in verse 10, he says, once you were not even a people at all, but now you are God's people. Once you were unpitied, but now you are pitied and have received mercy. He says, beloved, I implore you as aliens and strangers and exiles in this world to abstain from the sensual urges, the evil desires, the passions of the flesh, your lower nature that wages war against the soul, your mind, will, and emotions. He says, listen, you got to come away from those things that wage war against your soul. Now, you and I are born-again believers. How many born-again believers I got in this house? Well, you are a born-again believer, and as a born-again believer, there's a part of you that is just like God. I, and I tell people this all the time, and I blow people away with this, and I'm not really sure why they don't, they don't grasp this. As a three-part man, there is a part of you, your spirit man, that is so perfect, he's not even going to change when you get to heaven. <laughs> your spirit man... That you have, you, who you really are, is going to be who you really are when you get to heaven. The only thing that's going to change is your thinking and your outer shell. But your spirit, man, is perfect. We are the embodiment in the spirit of Jesus Christ himself. And so he says, if that's the case, why would you put yourself in a position so that something can war against that thinking? Why, 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 would I, why would I listen to songs that degrade me as a female when the Bible tells me I am God's chosen child? Why would I sing a song about degrading somebody when I know that I am a royal priesthood, a chosen generation? Well, the reason is because we have spent a lot of time having strongholds put in our life, and this stronghold says this, it really doesn't matter what you listen to. That's the second biggest lie the devil ever told. That's the second biggest lie he ever told. The biggest lie he ever told was that he was just like God. But the second biggest lie he ever told is it doesn't matter what you listen to. How can you tell me it doesn't matter what I listen to when God explicitly says I need to guard my ears and my eyes? The Bible says he's been a liar since the beginning. In fact, Jesus, when he was talking to uh, the Pharisees, he says, listen, they were, they were trying to tell him, they said, you know what, we are of Abraham. And he said, you know, you're not of Abraham. He said, that's not your father. They said, uh-huh, we ain't never been in bondage. He said, yeah, you've been in bondage. They said, well, who, well, who do you say our father is? He just made it real plain. He said, you are the, your father is the devil. He said, and you live like him and you do what he do. Now, my question to you is if you find yourself always doing something contrary to the word, who really is your daddy? Oh, y'all ain't going to say Now, I know you say, you can say that God is your father. They said Abraham was theirs. But the reality check was, who are you serving? What are you doing? And so you got to learn to say, you know what? If I got strongholds in my life and they are making me look contrary to the word of God, I want those strongholds gone out of my life. Now, now, now go to Romans, Romans chapter 6. Let me show you something here. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. I don't know how, I think I've given this definition enough times that almost everybody who was either here on Wednesday or Thursday or last week or something got this, but I give this definition while you're going to Romans chapter 6. We define a stronghold as a mindset. A mindset is wherever your mind is, is, is programmed to be. Now, let me help you about a mindset. 
I can come in here and preach faith to you, and faith will rise in you. But when you leave and go home, wherever your mind was set, that's where it's going to come back to. And, and, and somebody else, and you can watch TV in your mind or, or get up in faith, but when you ain't watching TV, it's going to go back to wherever it's set. So in order for you to live at a high level of faith, you've got to set your mind there. It's like an autopilot on an airplane. If, if an airplane is flying at, at, at 30,000 feet and they get a call from the control tower that says you need to go up to 40,000 or 50,000, well, they, they, they pull back and they go up. But once, well, once, they, once they have been up there for a while and they say, okay, you can go back to, to where you were, he just lets it go and it goes right back down to wherever they were set. And for most people, our minds are not set high enough. So we come to church and get word and we get our mindset from here to here, but then when we're not around the word every day, not because we can't be, but because I'm just not around the word because I ain't going to church and I'm just doing my own thing, then my mind gets set low again. So we define a, mind, we define a, a stronghold as a mindset that has been impregnated with hopelessness. Now the Bible tells us that you and I were once in this world without Hope. But we are not in this world without hope anymore. We got Jesus Christ, amen? He says, but, if, but a stronghold works so that your mind gets impregnated with hopelessness, and then it causes you to accept as true something that you know is contrary to the word of God. Give you a prime example. How many of you ever heard this? I'm out of debt. My needs are met. I got plenty more to put in store. But when it comes time to give, your mind says, we don't have enough. So you know what the word of God says, but the stronghold speaks louder to you than what the word says. And because of that, your actions line up with the stronghold rather than the word of God. And then you feel hopeless. Because you know that the Bible says if you don't tithe and you don't give, you're cursed with a curse. You know that. But yet the stronghold says you ain't got that money to give. So then you don't give it, and now your mind has been impregnated with this feeling of hopelessness. Paul said this. He said it was a speculation or a lofty thing that acknowledges itself above God. I like what somebody said Thursday night in our Bible study. They said a speculation was just an assumption, and you know what you get with assumptions. That a speculation is just an assumption. I'm assuming that if I do this thing God's way, it ain't going to work because it don't make sense. How am I? I don't have enough to pay all my bills right now today. And you mean to tell me I'm supposed to get 10% to the church? What am I going to do with 90%? When you believe God, you'll pay all your bills and have some left over because God will get involved with that 10% that you put in the offering and cause it to be another 30% in your life. So where you didn't have enough, now you do have enough. But the stronghold says you better not give that up. In fact, the stronghold says this. They got enough money. They ain't hurting. They don't need yours. And you're right, we don't, but you need to get it. We don't need yours, but you need to be obedient to God and give it. Why? Because if you don't, it's a step, it's a stronghold in your life that says the word of God is not true. Romans chapter 6, are you there? Look at verse 16. 
Now, this, this, this is so important because if, if, if you leave here today and you feel like, you know, you ain't got no strongholds in your life, you cool, that's indicating you got a stronghold. <laughs> do, you, do you hear me? If you feel like, if you leave here and you go, oh, I'm cool, you got a stronghold. Romans 6.16 says this. It says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves a slave to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether it be sin to death or obedience to righteousness. He says, whoever you make a decision to obey, that's who you're going to become a slave to. So if you make the decision to obey sin, guess who's your master? And if you make the decision to obey God and righteousness, guess who becomes your master? Jesus does. God does. He becomes not just your savior, but he becomes your Lord as well. Now, now, now look back 10 verses and look at Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Romans 6 and 6. He says, knowing this, that our old man was what? Crucified. That means to be killed. Our old man has been killed. That the body of sin could be done away with. And that we should no longer be what? Slaves to who? Sin. So if I've got strongholds in my life, it's because I have not realized fully that I have been recreated into a brand new creature. A creature that has never existed before. In fact, here's how Paul describes it when he's talking to the church at Ephesus. Go to Ephesus chapter 2 or Ephesians chapter 2. I read Ephesians chapter 2 to remind myself that I have not arrived. I am well on my way, but I have not arrived because I can remember what I used to be. Ephesians 2, verse 1. He says, and you, that's me, hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, praise God, but God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, watch what he's done. He has quickened us together with who? Christ. By grace are we now what? Saved. So it's not anything that we did except to believe on Jesus Christ. He says that once you believe on Jesus, he says you're not supposed to be like the same person you were before you believed on Jesus. So my question goes back to what I asked you earlier. What's wrong? Why is it that people get born again, but they live like they never knew God? And, and you know some people in your life, and some of your own areas may look like that. You may have done a good job of hiding them, but there are some things in your life that you can honestly say, this don't look nothing like the way God is supposed to have me living. Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep going back? I mean, I get free for six months. I get free for nine months. I've been free for a year, but I find myself being like the dog that returns to his vomit. Why do I keep going back to the thing that I hate? 
And I'm telling you, the reason you do it is because there is an enemy working in your life trying to keep you captive. But the word of God says, whom the Son sets free, whom the Son sets free. Now, now this is important because the Bible says in, in John 1 and 1, it says, in the beginning was the, and the word was, and then in verse 14, it says, and Jesus was made manifest in that word. So if I, when I talk about who the Son sets free, you can say the word. Who the word sets free is free indeed. Because, hear me when I say this, you don't get free in the name of Jesus just because you say Jesus' name. You have to understand Jesus in the context of his word. Because it's a whole lot of people who say Jesus but don't get free. Now, now don't get me wrong. The name, of, the name of every knee shall bow under the name of Jesus. But at that time, they're going to have a revelation of Jesus to his word. When he splits the sky and he steps on the Mount of Olives and he splits it in half and you're able to see him coming back, everybody's going to have a revelation. Oh, my, that is Jesus. So when you get a revelation of Jesus in his word, it says the, the, whomever the Son or the Word sets free, that means he's free forever. To be free indeed means to be free forever. The reason you get free sometimes is because you just decide that you don't want to do that no more. Sometimes the reason you don't do it no more is because you get afraid enough not to do it anymore for a little while. You had such a close encounter that it terrified you that you said, Lord, if you just let me get out of this situation just this one time, I will never do it again, God. And so you got scared so that it kept you scared for three months and you didn't do it again. But when the fear resided, your boldness to do it again came right back. That's why he says, whomever the son, whoever the word set free, now he's going to be free forever. And so I tell people, I didn't get free of certain things into my, in, in my life until I got a word on it. I had a desire to be free a long time before I got free. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I had a desire not to do what I was doing a long time before I stopped doing it, but the moment I got revelation on it, it stopped. Why? Because whoever the word sets free is free indeed. Now, now, now notice he says here in Ephesians 2, he says, and he has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I wish you would understand verse 6. Pastor Sean said something to me the other day. I had just read this like a couple of hours before she said something to me in a book she was reading. But I had just read this, and here's what I was asking God. It says, he has, made, he has raised us up and made us together, or made us sit together where? In heavenly places where? In Christ Jesus. Well, how in the world am I sitting in a heavenly places, in a heavenly place, doing something that's lower than where I'm sitting? And Pastor Sean said this. She said, she was reading the book, and she said, you know, the Bible says that we are sitting in heavenly places. She said, and if that's the case, if we're there, then we ought to be able to visit them from here, from the natural. We ought to be able to visit our heavenly place. Well, if I'm spending so much time in my heavenly place, I ain't got time to be living in my worldly place. But the reason I can function so eloquently in my worldly place is because I don't forget that I've been set in a heavenly place. It's why you find people who have two sets of friends. I got my sanctified friend. Glory to God. 
nevertheless. And I got my kicking friend. What up, girl? What up? What up? This my friend I go to church with. This my friend I go to the club with. And because I live this double life, I'm never able to really experience where God's called me to. Why? Because when I get up in this heavenly place, I hear the enemy calling me from down there. I'm in my heavenly place with Jesus. Lord, I worship you. I praise your name. And I got the devil over here in this lonely place going, but you know you was dropping it like it was hot yesterday. I know you ain't up there worshiping like that. I know you are not praying. Are you kidding me? Them tongues ain't real. And although I am having a true worship experience with my God, I can't focus on him because I got this sucker down here talking to me. That's why he says you got to crucify him so you can't hear him when you're over here with your father. He's got a stronghold over here where he keeps calling me back to. But the only reason he keeps calling me back here is so he can use it against me when I'm trying to be with my father. Tell your neighbor, say, he is not your friend. The devil is not your friend. He's the only joker I know who tell you to do something, and then when you do it, he turn around and use it against you. And have the nerve to quote scripture to you, too. Now, you know the Bible says that a man who sleeps with a woman that's not his shall surely die. Well, you told me to do it. Why? He wants to get a stronghold in your life. He wants to build something up in your life so that whenever you decide that you want to get free, he's got something to hold you back. So what I have to make a decision to do is not allow the enemy to have a foothold in my life. I expel him once and for all, and I say, you know what? I acknowledge every sin I ever done. Now I need you to acknowledge that Jesus Christ has cleared me. I turn my back on you, and I keep going this way forevermore. That's how you get free. And the next time you hear his voice, you don't turn around. But, because watch this. The devil really don't, doesn't accuse us of anything except the stuff we ain't repented for. Or the stuff that you repented for, but you still think you deserve punishment for. That, 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 that's what, that's, he cannot... He cannot use the fact that I have messed up when I go to God, I ask God to forgive me, and I believe that God's forgiven me. He doesn't use that because when he says that, I'll be like, whatever, God forgave me. But the other stuff that I think I really, I knew I shouldn't have done, I think I deserve a little more punishment for, I should suffer a little longer for, that's the stuff that he uses. Or the unrepentant sin I got in my life, the stuff I'm doing where I don't want my church people friends to know about it. And so now i got to live two lives because I can't let my church folk know what, what, what I do over here and I can't let these folk know what I do over here because they won't think I'm like them enough. And the Bible says this in James, that a double-minded man. <laughs> I was reading that one day and I, I don't know where it came from, but I was reading and I was like, man, a, 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 a double-minded man is retarded in all his ways. And I'm like, wow, where'd that come from? But that is true. 
A double-minded man, he's retarded. He, he doesn't know right from wrong, left from right. He don't know what he's doing. He just, he's just so double-minded. He thinks I'm supposed to do this today. I'm supposed to do this tomorrow. I heard God today. I didn't hear God yesterday. What am I supposed to be doing? And so the Bible says you cannot be doing that because it'll cause you to live an unbalanced life. Take a neighbor and say, I am free from my strongholds. Now, now, how do you get free from your strongholds? By realizing that faults that don't line up with the word of God do not come from anybody but the enemy. Go to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. The Bible says this, and you heard me say this so many times. Proverbs 23 and 7. It says, for as a man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. If I got a bunch of evil thoughts in my heart, you know what I'm going to eventually do? Evil. In fact, the Bible asks the question this way. It says, how does bitter water come from a sweet tap? It's not possible. A, 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 a bitter water comes out of a bitter tap. In the same way that you would expect an orange to grow on what? An orange tree. You wouldn't expect to find figs on an orange tree. You'd expect to find orange. It just makes sense. He said, so if you got evil in your heart, it just makes sense that eventually evil's going to come where? Out of your heart. And so if I, if, if I don't see, and see, I might have a stronghold in my life today that's not exposing me, but understand the devil is just biding his time. He, he's just biding his time. He, you, you have not gotten big enough for him to expose you yet. Because he always seeks to expose you at the time that God is really getting ready to move or do something in your life because he wants to throw a roadblock up in your life. Isaiah 55, verse 7. You got it? Now notice, Isaiah 55, verse 7 says this. It says, let the wicked forsake his way. What is the subject of everything else we're going to be talking about? The wicked. He says, let the wicked forsake his way. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked man forsake his way. And then he starts talking about this wicked man. He says, in the unrighteous man, his thoughts. It says, let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Nor are your ways my ways. But who was he talking to? Who? The wicked man. So the only time that God is telling me that my thoughts are not his thoughts is when I'm being perverse and wicked. And I think that's so important because people use that scripture all the time and they think that just applies to everyone. That scripture doesn't apply to me anymore. I have the mind of Christ. My thinking has changed. I am being renewed and have been renewed in some areas and continuously being renewed in my mind. So I can know the faults and will of my father. Amen? In fact, go, go, to, go to Corinthians and let me, let me show you this. I believe it's 1 Corinthians. Say, I have the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you Bible scholars, help me. It's uh, where he talks about you can know the mind of Christ. It's Corinthians what? Second chapter of what? what first, first Corinthians, first Corinthians, second chapter. Look at it. Go first Corinthians, second chapter. First Corinthians, second chapter. Now watch this. Let's look at verse nine. Say, I have the mind of Christ. Ask your neighbor. Say, if you got the mind of Christ, what you gonna do about them strongholds? Now you ought to answer them. What you gonna do about them? I'm going to pull them down. He says, but as it is written, your nat- and I, this is another, he says that, but as it is written, your natural eye has not seen, nor your natural ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of a man, his natural heart, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. It says, but God has revealed them unto us by what? His spirit. Why? Because the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. He says, now you and I have received not the spirit of the world, somebody say praise God, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us. Which the, and then go down to verse 14, he says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 16, it says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? It says, But we have the mind of Christ. And I, and I love that because it says, Who has the mind of the Lord? He says, You and I do. We have the mind of Christ. Why do we have the mind of Christ? That he may instruct us. So if you hear God talking to you and God says to you, You shouldn't be listening to that. Guess what God is doing? Instructing you. If God says to you, you need to, act, you need to forgive them, and you say, but I ain't mad at them, guess what? You mad at them. See, a lot of times we, we try to tell God, we, we act like God is wrong. But the Bible is very clear that God ain't wrong. So if God says to you, you need to forgive them, and you spend time talking about how you don't need to forgive them because you ain't mad, the problem is, is that you got a stronghold in your life that, don't, that you don't think God knows more than what you know. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard God say something to me about forgiving somebody or, or, or saying I'm sorry, especially when Pastor Sean and I was, when I, some of the early years, the Lord would be like, you know, just tell her you're sorry. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, God. You know I ain't do nothing wrong. Y'all ain't never did that before? Stronghold. So I said, you, you just need to tell her to, to, to ask you, you just need to ask her to forgive you. For what, God? You heard what she said. God, I know you hear everything. You didn't hear her. I know you heard what she said. She need to be asking me because she said you just need to ask her to forgive you. I don't know about that, God. That's a stronghold. And the reality of it is until you get to the place where you can say, you know what, there's some stuff that God said to me, I just don't think God would be right. Then, then he can help you. Then he can help you. Because then he can say, you know, because you've got to make the decision. Everything God says is true, and any other thought I have that does not line up with God's word is a lie. The Bible says that in Romans. It says, let God be true and let every man what? Be a liar. All right? Let's finish up. Go to 2 Corinthians 10. I want to teach you how to pull these things down in your life. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 through 5. You know what it says? We read this quite a bit. But we need to look at this because it gives us two keys for how to pull down these strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 through 5. 
It says the weapons of our warfare are not what? But they are mighty in God. For what? How do we do it? By casting down imaginations and every high thing that does what? Exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And then what do we have to do? Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the two things you have to do to tear down a stronghold is align your thinking with the word and make the decision to be obedient to the word. Someone said, well, don't, well, those sound like the same thing, but they're not. I can say what the word says, but then not do what the word says. It says I have to have a readiness. I have to be ready to cause my flesh to be in obedience to Christ. And the way we do that is by spending time in his word. Now, notice this. When our thought life is in agreement with unbelief, with fear, and with habitual sin, the enemy has the opportunity to seek out those places in our life where he can begin to build strongholds. If I am afraid about not having enough money to pay my bills, the enemy won't just be satisfied with coming in the area where my bills are concerned. He'll also then cause me to start distrusting God on other things. He, he, they'll say on your job, well, we're going to let some people go. Well, if you're already afraid that you ain't going to have enough to pay your bills, then he'll start violating your life and saying to you, you know you're going to get fired. A prime example, and I love BJ's testimony on, when, he, when, he, when he shares this, it's all kind of people that all tell freaking out. I read a thing the other day where they had uh, the governor Uh, and I guess the guy who was the president of Verizon was at the Clinton uh, school in in Little Rock, and they were talking about how many jobs that people were going to lose. But in the same sentence, they were talking about how they were going to expand the call center. But you know the only thing that people were focused on? The number of jobs they were going to lose. Now, I like what BJ said. He said if he loses his job, you know what? He'll just get another one making more money. So in a week. <laughs> so, so he's not going to, jo- to his job every day panicking about a speculation. A lofty high thing that's trying to ex- exalt itself before God. What he has done is he literally has brought that thought into captivity and now he's causing his body to say we're going to obey God and that we're not going to worry. So he doesn't have a stronghold in his life where employment's concerned. And I'm telling you that until you start to do that in every area of your life, the enemy is always going to try to build these particular strongholds in your life. Here's the goal of every Christian. You ready? To become more Christ-like. It's not to be debt-free. It's not to be healed in your body. It's not to prophesy. It's not to preach. It's not to do all those things. All those things are an outgrowth of your conformity to Christ himself. And the Bible is very clear that what you and I are supposed to do is to be conforming into the image of God. But you cannot conform into the image of God when you've got strongholds in your life that cause you to think contrary to God. And so what you have to do is you have to make the decision that I am sick and tired of having these thoughts in my life that cause me to do the very thing I said I wasn't going to do anymore. And when you make that decision, you can now be free from your strongholds. 
Pastor Nietzsche was preaching, I think it was a, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, and she was giving us these uh, tools um, for, for, it was called Passion for the Fight. And one of the things she said is, she said, one of the tools we have is confession. And when we talk about confession, let's be honest, what's the first thing we think about? We really think about what we repeat after somebody say. But she was saying, not that kind of confession. That's really more of a declaration. When I say, repeat after me, all my needs are met, you say, all my needs are met, I say, I'm out of debt, you say, I'm out. that's a declaration. Confession is really about you going to somebody you trust and saying, BJ, I got a problem with X. Because I can never get free from what I am afraid to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so for some of you, you need to find somebody in your life, your pastor, God, whoever, but you need to out of your mouth say, I have a stronghold when it comes to... Now see, that right there, for some of you, causes fear and panic. But the reason it causes fear and panic because the devil says, don't you tell nobody that? You know what they're going to think about you if you say you got a problem with that? If you tell somebody in this church you got a problem with smoking weed, they're going to talk about you. If you tell somebody in this church you got a problem with pornography, do you know what they're going to think about you? They're going to sit you down. You ain't going to have that position no more. Don't fool yourself. The devil's waiting for an opportunity to expose you anyway. Don't you fool yourself. He is waiting for an opportunity to expose you. The Bible says that confession causes us to become free. And if you will just go to God, and, and we're going to, we, I'm done preaching. What I want you to do is to stand to your feet. And not out of, you don't even have to say out of your mouth. God can hear you. But you need to have a serious conversation with God. And you just say, Lord, and here's the thing. Let me help you. I said it, I said it before. God already knows what your problem is. So you not saying it is not like he's not going to know. Amen? Well, I ain't going to say that because then God won't know. No, God already knows. Now, the Bible says this, that you and I are able to go to God, and we are able to ask God for his assistance and his help, and that he will give it to us immediately. Now, how many of you believe that? 